today on Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, Waiting on a Sunny Day. Hey everybody, welcome to Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet. It's the only podcast where we talk about every single Bruce Springsteen song in alphabetical order. I'm Jamie Clark. I'm joined as always by Rob Carmack. On the violin. On the the violin today? (laughs) Uh, How you doing? Hey, I'm good, man. It's uh, good. I was going to make a a joke about the weather because this song is about a sunny day, but I don't know. That felt too easy. I don't don't know. I mean, I'll tell you what. It's been raining here. No kidding. For a week straight. But there ain't a cloud in the sky. Today, I've been waiting on a sunny day. Today has been sunny, and I have been waiting on today. I get that. This is the time of year where this this is applicable. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to teach Shep about uh, how pretty it was today and about his heritage as uh, a, a, a half-white kid. Hey, you got to talk about the weather, bud. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're, you're trying to, to school your child in the art of small talk? Yeah, it's sunny outside. It's pretty. You gotta talk about that. <laughs> it's been raining. Oh, but man, it's been raining. Oh, it's Hot cloudy. Day. It's looking looking. Hot yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, so this song, the song we're talking about today, "Waiting on a Sunny Day," is from the 2002 album "The Rising." And the along the the basic facts here: the earliest draft of the song was written in 1999, so it was not specifically written for "The Rising," but I mean, I guess it did fit pretty well on that album in terms of like what Bruce is trying to say. So the um but the original draft of this was written in 1999 and it was even sound checked before one of the 1999 E Street Band reunion shows. So the yeah. song was around but and I think Bruce just must have liked it enough to keep workshopping it and um was I guess had just been looking for a home for it uh, when when they started making the rising. Um the live history of this song, the song gets played a bunch. Um I've seen it I, I of the seven times that I've seen Bruce in concert, I've seen it a few times. I want—I want to say I didn't count exactly, but I, I want to say I've seen it at least three or four times. The most recent performance of the song was February eighteenth, two thousand seventeen, in Hunter Valley, Australia. All right. So it's definitely—I mean, obviously, he was not going to go to Australia slash New Zealand for a month and not end up playing the song at least once or twice. So that—that that bears out. So, so that's kind of what the song is. It's—it like I said, it's on the rising, which is of course. If, if you're new to this and, and you don't know, The Rising is uh, was Bruce's direct reaction slash response to the 9-11 terrorist attacks in 2001. So the song, this album was released a year later. And the, the album is very, I mean, it's not a concept album, but it's pretty dang close to being a concept album about sort of living in the aftermath of the, the terrorist attacks of uh, 2001. So, um, so this song obviously is one of the more upbeat, this sort of sits... Uh, along like in the same sort of realm as Mary's place and skin to skin. Can't we be friends? You know, the, those the, like some of the more upbeat, you know, more, more brightly sort of textured songs on, on that record. So that's, that's the, that's the backstory here. So let's, let's get into the music. Now I mentioned the violin because the violin in the song is very prominent. You got Susie Tyrell playing a very memorable violin part. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's nice. It's so it's uplifting. It is. It's very. Um, it's very accessible. This is one of those songs. Like, I, I mean, when, when I first started getting into Bruce Springsteen, I, I sampled as much stuff as I could. And I, what's interesting is like the stuff that I, I got into. The stuff that I, I liked the, the quickest tends to be the stuff that I am tired of now. You know, having been been into him now for like eleven ish years. Right. So 
and this is one of those songs. This is one of those songs like I listened to, and probably after the first time I listened, to it, I was like, "That was nice. I like that." You know what I mean? Like, yeah. but now I've heard it so many times that I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> but but I mean that's that's not Bruce's fault. That's not the song's fault. It's just like it's it's an overexposure issue. But yeah, it is. It's a nice. The violin part is very pleasing. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. Bruce uh, himself said that this is a great example of, or a good example of pop songwriting. Yes, it really is. It's, um, it's got a chorus. It's got a hook. Yeah. There's a key change. Also, the type of song that he, quote unquote, wants to throw out directly into the trash can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Until John Landau talks him out of it. Oh, that's right. Um, that, yeah, I have that. I have that note as well. That apparently there was there was some conflict about because yeah, John Landau tends to be like the the angel on his shoulder, being like, "Well, we keep that one," you know. Yeah. Well, it's okay to write a pop song, Bruce. <laughs> yeah. Don't. Yeah. Don't. Don't shy away from from the pop song. This is one of those also that, I, that it's very polarizing among fans because there are some fans that really enjoy this when it, when it happens live because it, it it's always because like somebody brings their kid to a show, gets them down in the pit. It's usually a very like a small child. They get him down the pit. They make the sign, "Can my kid sing?" Waiting on a sunny day, and like the thrill of a lifetime is for like your kid to get pulled up on stage with Bruce to get to sing like the final chorus, you know, and count the E Street Band back in of the song. Yeah. Like, there's, if you if you go on YouTube and search for uh, Bruce Springsteen live waiting on a sunny day, you will find dozens of videos of Bruce singing on stage with like kids of various ages. Wait, and so this is his like Jesse Jackson calls this is like Bruce's grandpa moment, like when. When he he gets up and he 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 plays like the fun loving grandpa who lets the lets his kid lets the little kid come up and you know sing a sing a chorus you know and the whole crowd yeah. goes nuts I mean, there's no there's nobody in the world that's like cold hearted enough to boo <laughs> when when the kid gets done singing you know but there are people out there who even though like that's undeniably adorable there are people out there who are like I don't need to see him do waiting on a sunny day again right I'd be you okay know? with not hearing this again yeah this but. is one, this is one of those songs that like I think a lot of people feel like have been worn out in the live show. I mean, I think that it's good to have some levity, especially in the context of the rising, like hope, you know, looking, looking, how, what, what can we do after this? Yeah. Well, and, and as far as album placement goes, like this is track three, which like track one is Lonesome Day, which is, I mean, it's up tempo, but it's very, it's very somber. And then track two is Into the Fire, which is right. very somber. And then... This is track three. So, like, by the time you get through Lonesome Day and Into the Fire, you kind of need this. Like, you need something like this. You need this or Mary's Place or something. Because, like, you can't let the whole, like, exactly what you just said. Like, you need some levity and you need some brightness to color the album for it to feel like a full E Street Band album, you know? Yeah. Um. Anyway, so, like, musically, let, let's talk a little bit about the structure. Like you said, it's it's a good pop song. There's two different key changes. Michael Hyatt, um, in his book, points out that the Rising album has a lot of key changes and he's not wrong. Like there's a bunch, there's two in this one song. Yeah. Know? It's, it's, um, it's very much like a pop, a poppy pop song. It is a, it is, uh, calls back to a little bit of the E street bands, R and B roots, you know, with some, some, um, sort of bouncy horns and just that those drums that sort of drive it, but swing it at the same time. Um, some really great bass stuff. Um, there's this great line without you girl, I'm a drum that can't keep a beat. Mm-hmm. And there's a drum syncopation right there. And it's, it's, it should be cheesy, but it's not even cheesy. Max just like drops a beat and then picks it up on the, on the end of the note and then hops right back in. It's really nice. It, it should play as cheesy, but it, it really honestly doesn't. It fits so nice musically. And then the backing vocals paired with the, like the, 
the dobro, I guess, is what the slide guitar is here. Mm -hmm. um, it almost sounds like one noise. Like the dobro slides up to the note, and the backing vocals pick that note up in, in, in sort of a chord. Um, it's really nice. It, it's 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 great pop music. It's it's almost it's like it's a very um, acoustic version of the way to make uh, pop music the way we would now. I don't, I don't know if you listen to like Nickel Creek much, but they do this a lot. This is it kind of reminds me of that. They make these really pop like modern pop sounds using very you know acoustic instruments, and and that's cool. Um, which I guess currently we're using electronic instruments to make pop sounds inspired by pop of the past but it's, yeah it's cool to hear it the other way around yeah there's some really good sax uh oh yeah there is a saxophone solo here You're there's right. a solo in here uh back up against the glockenspiel and the you know the backing vocals are doing the ooh la la's it's really nice but yeah clarence and gary and max like really lock in this r&b groove underneath like a just a straightforward pop song i don't know what you do to make it any better you know musically besides yeah. write it you know besides like write a different song like this is <laughs> This is the best pop version of this song. Uh, it's nice. I, I really, I really like what's going on musically here with the dobro and the background vocals and the, and the like the the violin sets up or the fiddle. I guess you might call this. Yeah, <laughs> sets a precedent for the dobro, if that makes sense. Uh -huh. Like the sliding against the strings sets a precedent for that slide up dobro. So it almost doesn't even sound like a, a different instrument. It sounds like a sort of just a piece of the the. Um, overall sound and, and uh there's a lower horn in here too or maybe it's just a berry sax i don't know Th there's some good stuff going on there's some really good stuff going on well there's um do you did you do you have the, the michael hyatt book where he he talks about the the construction of all these different songs no i don't michael hyatt just uh released a, a book a couple of weeks ago and it I mean, this would have been a really useful book three and a half years ago when we first started this, but it's basically, it's a song for song, like journey. It, I mean, every song gets maybe like one or two paragraphs, but it's a song for song, like look at all of Bruce Springsteen's work. And I, I picked it up the day it came out because obviously like, that's a resource that we could really use here. So he points out, there's, there's something interesting that, that he points out in his book, which is um, Brendan O'Brien, who is the producer of this album. Brendan O'Brien got the, there's a very specific organ kind of sound that you hear in this song. And, how uh, Hyatt talks about the, the Brendan O'Brien talks about how the way that he got the sound was he had Danny Federici play his part over and over and over again on a bunch of different organs that they had in the studio. So like he would have him play the part on one organ and then he would move that organ out and go over to another organ and then play it exactly like note for note again and just do it, do that over and over and over again. And then they layered all those different organ parts on top of each other. That's huh. and so that's how you have the organ sound of this song and um and apparently according to Brendan O'Brien, Danny uh the late great Danny Federici was a natural improviser like he was very naturally improvisational and really hated repeating himself, uh, right. but but he went along. With I, I would it. say as as were many members of this of the East Street Band. Yeah, that's, uh, including Gary Talent specifically. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a theme that you'll find is like repeating yourself and being part of the East Street Band is not like the best part of being in the band. Um, so, but, but apparently he went along with it cause you know, Brennan O'Brien's the producer and if Bruce wants you to do what Brennan says, you do what Brennan says. And right. so, um, Brent, Brendan has said that, and, uh, Danny Federici, for those who don't know, Danny Federici has passed away. He, he died in uh, 2008. Um, but one of the things that's sort of about Danny that makes him both interesting and endearing and you know, who he was is that he, he could be known to be a little cantankerous about certain things. And um, Brendan O'Brien has said about Danny in those sessions, quote, 
I'm not saying he was thrilled about it, about doing like the, the repeating. I'm not saying he was thrilled about it. I'm saying he did gr- he did it great. He was right, right. <laughs> and, the, and he said he was sort of this is Brendan O'Brien saying he said he was sort of a cranky guy. Interesting dude. Always so funny, which is a way of saying like he busted my chops so hard for doing this. And the nicest way I can describe that is he was an interesting guy. Always made me laugh. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. Anyway, so yeah. if you if you so if you hear like the organ sound, you're like, wow, that, that's an interesting, very full, very unique organ sound. It's because yeah, it's because Brennan O'Brien tormented Danny Federici until he played the, the same part on what I can only assume was like maybe a half dozen different organs that they had in the studio. Yeah, you know. So that's uh, so uh, that that was only, the only real interesting piece of trivia I found about like sort of the the recording process. Hey, what is the name of this Michael Hyatt book? You mentioned it. I couldn't find it. Are, you, are we talking about Michael Hyatt, like the leadership publishing guy? No. Hang on. Brian Hyatt. I said Michael Hyatt. No, it's 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 Brian Hyatt. Yeah, and the name of the, the book is Bruce Springsteen, The Stories Behind the Songs. All right, cool. All so right. You're right. Michael, Michael Hyatt is a guy who writes about like, <laughs> like how, branding. How to get way more out of your day than you can possibly get. Yeah, he's basically a Seth Godin type. Like he writes about yeah. like, branding and time management and stuff. He's a nice guy, but... I'm over that message. Yeah, same. I recently brought bought the websites unproductive.life and unintentional.life because I got I don't know what I'm going to do with them, but I'm sick and tired of that that whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't know, just the whole the whole concept of like branding yourself. I realize like that's important to a certain degree if you're trying to like, you know, do anything and Oh yeah, I, I make brands for people every day. That's that's what I do. And, I, but I, I still don't feel great oof. about it. I don't. Love well, he didn't it. even write about branding as much as like leadership. Just leadership. Yeah. The world would be better if we had more followers. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. I don't mean that like in a weird way. I mean that like a leader is an insane person. The first follower is an insane person with bravery. The third follower is like a man. You know what I'm saying? Like. <laughs> yeah. It takes a follower to to make a movement. A lot of followers. Anyway, that's true. All right. If you if you work in churches or in the South in organizations, a lot of times people are trying to send you to leadership training all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you one of one of the things about being the founding pastor of the church that where I work now is like no one's making me go to conferences that I don't want to go to. <laughs> oh, that's got to be dope. It's it's pretty great, man. I'm I'm saving a lot of time, um, and you know I'm able to do other things like. Yeah, rewatch Die Hard whenever I want or whatever. For sure. All right, or well, just be present or just be like there. Yeah, just live my life. <laughs> That's fine too. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, then uh, let's. Uh, you want to do the lyrics? Uh. You know, I'm gonna sit this one out. I'm just joking, man. No, I'm gonna do the lyrics. <laughs> That's not how we do things. <laughs> I'm gonna do them. I'm gonna do the lyrics. Be a follower. Right. Do the lyrics. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Okay. It's raining, but there ain't a cloud in the sky. Must have been a tear from your eye. Everything will be okay. Yeah. Funny thought. I felt. Yeah, funny. Thought I felt a summer breeze. Must have been you sighing so deep. Don't worry. We're going to find a way. I'm waiting. Waiting on a sunny day. Going to chase the clouds away. Yeah, I'm waiting on a sunny day. And there's that There's that elusive chorus. Yeah. That elusive Bruce Springsteen chorus. You know what this, uh, you gotta, you know what this reminds me of? It, this reminds me of raindrops keep falling on my head. Uh, yeah, a little bit. I realize, like, that's not actually what, like, the influences cited for this song are, like, Phil Spector and Smokey Robinson and... Yeah, Smokey Robinson specifically is what I've got. Yeah, but, um, but when I think about this song as, like, a, like, a piece of pop music, it it reminds me of 
raindrops keep falling on my head just because it's yeah. so you know it's it's so whistly i mean even though it's not actually whistly but i mean it, it yeah could but you can whistle that uh violin part you totally could and so it, it's one of those like things are bad but maybe things will, will turn around and so just like this very like like skipping along kind of kind of sensibility to it all and, and like you said it's very earnest and in any other songwriter's hands, this could be pretty corny. In fact, like I, you try try and imagine another of Bruce's contemporaries like writing this song. Like imagine Tom Petty, or I don't I don't know, like the Eagles or somebody like trying to do this song, and you'd be like, that is not great. You know what I mean? But for some well, reason, this is the opposite of like the bar test that I always bring up. Imagine that you're at dinner, and the band sets up and starts playing this song. You'd be like, okay. <laughs> whatever <laughs> that's enough of that yeah um yeah but this this execution of it is like it's really sweet it's really earnest well and that's the thing like i feel like bruce has earned I, I, bruce has is a singular kind of artist in a lot of ways but one of the ways is that he he has not sacrificed his coolness and his cachet on on the altar of sometimes he's also allowed to be a little bit corny and a little like dad like you know, yeah for lack of a better and and i don't there, there are no other artists that i can think of who have been able to sort of live in in both those spaces because because Bruce is incredibly corny but he's also and he's very earnest but he's also like genuinely like i i he he's also very cool and i don't well, I, I cannot think of another artist who can accomplish both those things simultaneously he's spaced out enough bitterness that you can never call him like saccharine well and you, yeah. and you can't accuse him of selling out by doing this kind of song because he's doing it like in between also having done into the fire and um, my city of ruin, you know, like the the album, like if the whole album was this, you'd be like, what in the world? Ha-? Like who force fed Bruce Springsteen a bag full of lollipops? But be- because this yeah. is is woven in- into other songs about death and despair and sorrow, and also again because Bruce has earned, like he, this is the guy who did Ghost of Tom Joad, and this is the guy, you know, like this is the guy who did Brilliant Disguise. Like he he's earned, he he's he's earned the right to do this, you know? Right. And so, right. Um, yeah. And it, the way it's positioned on the record is like this. And that maybe that's why he held it is because he thought, nah, I don't have, a, I don't have a spot for this. And he's working on the rising and he's thinking, you know, I should write a song that's got some levity, but I, I think I've already written it. And I think it's true to this. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and, and that's the thing too is, and, and there's a whole, there's a lot of, dis- this is not new to us, but there's a, a whole conversation about how the nineties tended to be in pop culture, tended to be really like kind of cynical. Like this is where grunge came from. And this is like, yeah. like eye rolly and everything, everything needed to have a, like a bunch of sarcasm and irony connected to it. And, or else it was like too earnest or whatever. And like, not probably not coincidentally, this is the nineties were the era that Bruce really like artistically wasn't connecting with very many people. But then, 2001, 9-11, that, that, that was sort of the event that kind of turns everybody back towards, like, maybe we need a little bit more earnestness and joy and hope. Like, maybe in this new era, in the new world, in a post-9-11 reality, maybe we need something that, that does have a, a sense of unapologetic hope and joy to it. And this song was born out of that, like, I mean, I realize that Bruce wrote it in 1999, but he didn't, re- if he'd released it in 1999... I, I don't think anybody would have liked it at all, you know, because, right. but agree. But in, in 2002, when everybody's like, people are hanging out of car windows yelling, we need you, Bruce, you yeah. know, like this is what they mean. Like yeah. th- this, this is the kind of thing that they're asking for, you know, like give us something to We need to you to for. reflect tracks one and two, and we need you to point to something. Track three. That's right. Yeah. Get, give us like name the pain, but also remind us that there's something beyond the pain. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. 
This is the SNL deciding to, you know, be funny. Yeah. And to, you know, afterwards, this is the same kind of the same thing. Absolutely. Well, and if you look at, at pop, popular music and film, like in the aftermath of this, you, you totally see like it, it begins to sort of trend away from a lot of that sort of like um, eye rolly, like everything sucks kind of thing, you know, and it, and it kind of begins to veer back towards um, more hopeful storytelling in general, yeah. you know. 100%. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Verse two. Without you, I'm working with the rain falling down. I'm half a party in a one-dog town. I need you to chase the blues away. Without you, I'm a drummer girl that can't keep the beat. And that's where Max drops the beat, yeah, picks up on the, on the end, and it brings it back around. It's super nice. An ice cream truck on a deserted street. Whew, that is a – that is sad. This is a little bit that of a That is a really set. sad line. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I hope that you're coming to stay. I'm waiting, I'm waiting on a sunny day, going to chase the clouds away, waiting on a sunny day, and then we get some instrumental action and some sax action. Mm-hmm. Uh, third verse, hard times, baby. Well, they come to tell us all. Sure is the ticking of the clock on the wall. Sure is the turning of night into day. Your smile, girl, brings the morning light to my eyes. Lifts away the blues when I rise. I hope that you're coming to stay because I'm waiting, waiting on a sunny day. You're going to chase the clouds away, waiting, waiting on a sunny day. It is, it is defiantly cheerful. Yeah, and it's and it's cheerful through sadness. Yeah, like I, I'm blue without you. Like, don't I? I need you to come back. I need your smile uh, because without you, I'm an ice cream truck on a deserted street. I'm a drummer without a beat. I'm half a party in a one dog down. Yeah, well, and, and like hard times come. Sure as ticking clock on the wall, and as sure as night of the day, like there will be hard times. But your smile brings morning light into my eyes. Uh, so it, it is not joyful just because of joy. It is it is the shadows prove the sunshine. Yes. Yeah. To quote uh, John Foreman. It, I, I love this song. I think it's just it's super hopeful and it's super sweet without being saccharine. Yeah. Um, and I, it's, it is a perfectly produced pop song. Well, and and again, if, if he had just released this in 1999, or if if he had at any point just made a, an album of like pop songs or love songs and this had been on it, I, I don't know that it would mean very much. But that this is on the rising and that like every song on the rising, regardless of when it was written, but because it was put on the rising, it's recontextualized in in light of September 11th. And so the song, while maybe when yeah. it was originally written, it was written about like a guy who misses a girl. Because it's on this album and because of where it, because it's track three, because it follows into the fire, people hear this song and it's like, you're not thinking about the girl, you're thinking about your city, you're thinking about like the people that we lost and the innocence that was lost and the, and the pain that followed, you know, you're thinking about all that stuff. And so this, this song is meant to be a contrast to the despair that, that was in the air after, you know, the worst thing that any of us had ever seen up to that point, you know, and so um, and so what could have been a really like shallow feeling, like skippy poppy love song became this very profound statement about looking for joy in the midst of sorrow. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, be- I mean, I, the, the placement of where it is, like not unlike what we talked about a couple of weeks ago with um, Valentine's Day, the placement, like where this song is, is just as important. It is just as, if not more important as what this song is. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So with that said, how many uh, adorable children singing solos would you give this? Uh, I give it four, and I think it's probably high. Uh, and I realize that, but I, no, just, man, 
be defiantly cheerful about it. Yeah, what like what it is and the hope that it offers in the context of when it offered it, uh, mi- uh, mixed with the mix. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's a four. And plus that Max doing the thing on the drums and somehow making it not. If I'd have done that, people would have been like, that's dumb, take it out. Well, that's exactly the point, right? Like, only Bruce could do exactly the song and not have people roll their eyes at him. Yeah. You know? And, it's 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 yeah. nailed. He nails it. He he really walks a fine line with the song. Yeah, he really does. It's, it's pretty, I mean, really, if you think about it, it's the magic trick that he talks about in the Broadway show. It's like, yeah. how do you get how do you get people to to embrace a song like this at a time like this? And, I mean, Bruce just does And it. to think that he's, like, created such a uh, sort of counter career. Um, that this is the song that people that like that I would say is a is a fine line to walk, you know? <laughs> yeah, is is also impressive. Uh, anyway, sorry. How many adorable children singing the song at the end of a, a set do you give it? <laughs> I'm also a four, man. I'm gonna match you. Really? On yeah. You're a four. I, I thought you were gonna be lower than that. I thought you were gonna be like a three. No, I mean, I mean, I I could give it a three because like I I totally realize like people are tired of the song live, and quite frankly, if I went to the live show, there's a handful of songs. I, 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 I'm kind of rooting against, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I don't need to hear him do Hungry Heart again. I don't need to hear him do um, Darlington County again. And I probably don't need him to do this song again. That said, as a song, as it exists, like what it is, I like it, man. And especially, again, especially like if I'm, if I'm doing a full album, listen through to The Rising, I need this song exactly where it is. This song is exactly, yeah. it, it, it is, it is exactly what and where it needs to be. And if, if you don't like it, in the live performances, like yeah, me neither. But like if, when I'm listening to it on the album, I love it because of exactly and all the yeah. all the pieces are perfect. So um, also we've been locked in within half a point of each other for weeks now. Hey man, it just comes from you know do, doing good work with people that you love. That's what if, it is. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, and I love you too. Hey man, <laughs> we're feeling it. What's so funny? I, uh, I t- just, I'm being earnest. I'm waiting on a I sunny day over I, here, and you're laughing I, I, in my face. I remember you a couple weeks ago, bastard. I remember a couple weeks ago, whenever I was like, <laughs> we finished up, and I was like, all right, dude, had a good time. I'll talk to you later. I love you, man. And I logged off, and you said I love you too. But right as I logged off, and then you texted me a few minutes later, like, hey, I just wanted you to know, <laughs> I did say it back. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't trying to. I wasn't trying to be like. Ter- I, I wasn't trying to be the, like an ass or anything like that. It's just like you logged off, and like. I know, but you were like, you felt so bad about it. And, I, and as soon as I logged off and saw that you like got cut off saying it, I was like, that's super sweet. And also, I know I'm going to get a text message. Oh, it's funny <laughs> that you knew just, that. And so just now, whenever you said uh, podcast with people you love, I was like, I lo- and I love you too. <laughs> I mean, look, we're doing this song. I'm feeling very wide open. I'm feeling very, you know, like warm and sentimental about things. I'm, you glad. Know? I'm glad. I wasn't trying to be cynical with the laugh. You just questioned me. And so I had to answer. <sighs> It's the last time I opened I up. I laughed. It was a, it was a sweet. It was like a, a well, <laughs> sweethearted laugh. It yeah, was man. a guffaw. It was a chuckle. It was. It was fine. It's good. Up my big old belly. <laughs> nah, man. Like nah. Santa I, I got you. Look, it's a sunny day over here. We're doing great. <laughs> All right. Cool, 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 cool. Well, cool. on that note, um, we will be back later on. Uh, no, um, yeah, later this week. Yeah, we'll later. be back later this week with the song "Walk Like a Man." Walk like a man. Talk like a man. Balk like a man. Fast as you can. Whatever. All right. We'll so, see you. all right. So we'll see everybody next time with Walk Like a Man. <laughs> <laughs>